Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus, aren't you? So, and again, so good to see everybody. It's good to see uh, some familiar faces back with us this morning as we have members who are uh, coming back and for the first uh, for the service for the first time. Glad to have you back with us this morning. It's good to see Brother Ivy in the first service, and we've been praying for him, and and uh, so good to see him. It's good to have visitors with us this morning. And uh, if you didn't get a visitor's packet, we sure would want you to get one. And there's a card in there, connection card. We'd love for you to fill that out and uh, place that in the one of the boxes in the foyer. Uh, we're not passing, still not passing the plate, and so encourage uh, our visitors, if you put that connection card in the boxes in the foyer, so the box in this foyer, box in the other foyer. And uh, also reminding our members as we uh, think about giving and remembering to give as you leave uh, this morning. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And so I understand that Brother Wiggins touched on... Uh, uh, some of these scriptures last Sunday, so the Lord must have just been working this out. And uh, it's amazing how you can take a passage of scripture and preach it and uh, get so much out of it, uh, more than you would ever believe, just out of these first two or three, four chapters uh, found in the Bible. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to come together as a church family, to gather around the Word of God, to be fed. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage us in the Lord this morning. May we again see that we ought to and should trust in thee. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this world, we know that uh, there's a lot going on, a lot going on. doesn't take much. I uh, was watching the evening news last night. I haven't watched the evening news in several months. Uh, just, just, just uh, I can watch the weather on my phone, and that's really the only thing that's important anyway uh, when it comes to the evening news. And so I was watching it last night, and I really haven't seen a lot of the video of some of the, the, the cities and, uh, uh, that are burning and the riots. I haven't watched video. I've read about them. I, I read Fox News two or three times a day, which that's a bummer as well. But we all understand and we all know understanding the times is important, uh, knowing what's going on, that we shouldn't bury our hands in the sand. But at the same time, we are to be careful that as we view all these things and that as we, we see what's going on in the world, uh, it just seeming like that nothing can be trusted. Is, you know, just nothing. And there, if we're not careful, we begin to doubt. Now, what do you mean by doubt? I mean, I mean, begin to doubt the Lord. So, Lord, what's going on here? I, I don't understand. 
you know, we can't, we can't, we, we seem to doubt, we can't trust the government. We know that. And uh, not even our own, own state of Texas, uh, who, who you think would be, uh, you know, uh, uh, standing up for, for the Constitution and many things. We see even the erosion of that in the state of Texas. So we can't trust the government. You can't, and to a certain extent, we know that the approval ratings are down. I think the last time I saw Congress, so the Senate and the, uh, uh, and the House of Representatives, I think the approval rating was 12 or something like that, the trust the trusting of uh, the, the, really, 12%, really? Uh, that's where it's at, and uh, the president isn't much better uh, as far as uh, trustworthiness is what I'm trying to say. And uh, we live in that. I don't mean to, to be talk down this morning, but again, again, knowing the times, we, we can't trust jobs anymore. There's, there's not a lot of loyalty anymore when it comes to jobs. And uh, even preachers, using, you know, reading today about various uh, preachers who have fallen even uh, we think about Falwell and other things going on today. By the way, uh, Falwell wasn't a preacher, if you remember. The son isn't. And I kind of remind you of that. Uh, he was over the school, but he technically uh, was never called to pastor that church. And um, he was a lawyer, and he is a lawyer. That's what he is. He was uh, called to run the school and build the school. Just as a side note, just as a side note. Uh, not like his dad. His dad was called to preach. His dad was a good man and so forth. I just defended Jerry Falwell from the pulpit. The dad, the dad. We certainly wouldn't agree on the contemporary movement, but here we go. Lots of uncertainty today. Lots of uncertainty. A lot of things that we can't trust. Businesses and all these things going on. We think about the phone calls we get. Uh, would you like to extend your warranty, you know? Uh, you pick up the phone and lots of, lots of uncertainty today. If we're not careful, we begin to doubt. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, brethren. This is Paul, remember. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Paul warns us about an evil heart of unbelief. And that word unbelief there is, is doubt. Same word, doubt. Paul says you better be careful that you don't have that heart of doubt, that heart of doubt when it comes to the Lord. Satan likes to use this tool of doubt, and he's been using it from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, working on the hearts of mankind, creating doubt in the minds of, of Eve and creating doubt in the minds of people today. May we be careful, may we careful when it comes to that and trust in the Lord. Four things Satan wanted Eve to doubt. Let's look at these. Four things Satan wanted Eve to doubt. Number one, to doubt the word of God. Look at verse one. She's, he says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of, the tree, of every tree of the garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. He wanted her to doubt the very words spoken by God. The very words spoken by God. He wanted her to doubt this. By the way, that's what Satan's doing today. He wants you to doubt this. We don't have, uh, God doesn't speak verbally anymore. He doesn't speak verbally in a, a, in a voice. Uh, the Bible makes that clear. Hebrews chapter 1 says, God who at sundry times in diverse manners and different times at different manners spake in time past. Under the fathers by the prophet hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. 
and that he's spoken by his son through his word. This is God's word. Amen. We hold it in our hand this morning. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful book it is. What a miraculous book it is. What a supernatural book that it is. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. We have the written words of Almighty God. And just as Satan uh, deceived Eve and, and had her and tempted her to, to doubt God's very spoken word, the verbal spoken, imagine that, you heard the voice of God. Adam heard the voice of God. And yet doubt had. They, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. Every evening, the Bible says, he, they walked with him, they talked with him verbally. And I believe it was a theophany. I believe that it was Christ walking with them in the garden uh, there in the cool of the day. And yet she, she still gave in to the deception and the deceit of the devil, the tempter, the, the sly fox, as he, uh, he tempted her to doubt. Yea, hath God said. Yea, hath God said. By the way, the devil's using the same tactic today. He wants you to doubt this book. He wants you to doubt his words. And the devil will put, plant that seed in your heart if you're not careful. And you'll begin to doubt the words of God. Can I remind you this morning that the word of God is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration. That means God breathed of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. Listen, the word of God is profitable. It's relevant for today. It's inspired. It means that God breathed it. God breathed it. It's inspired. It is profitable for doctrine. That means what's right. For reproof. That means what's wrong. For correction. How to get right. And for instruction in righteousness. How to stay right. It's the word of God that tells us what's right and what is wrong. This, this, the Bible, God's word is the all in all. This is the standard when it comes to what is right and what is wrong. Not, not some teacher, not some professor in some school, not some judge sitting in his, his little gown and in in behind, a, behind a big desk. No, it's not man's authority and man's final authority that, that decides what is right and wrong. It's God's authority. Because with man, everything is relevant. It depends on what you think. It depends on what I think. But with God, is the final standard. And so God... Uh, is God is the standard. What is right? What is wrong? How to get right? I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God that convicts my heart. And though that God does not speak in a verbal voice anymore, He doesn't speak from heaven anymore in an audible voice. If He does, uh, that's not the Lord. I don't care what TV evangelist says he heard uh, from God in a verbal voice. It didn't happen. It didn't happen, but uh, God no longer speaks in that audible voice, but yet he speaks in the still small voice of your heart. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that still convicts my heart when I do something wrong. In fact, sometimes I'm astounded uh, this last revival meeting as I walked the aisle and prayed at the altar when Brother Powell, uh, Scott Pauley was preaching. I just remember thanking God, said, Lord, thank you for continuing to work in my heart. In spite of me, in spite of my sins, God, I'm thankful that you, I, you still speak to me on a regular basis. And you still talk to me in that still small voice. And uh, so thankful for that. The Word of God is inspired. The Word of God is from God. I want to make sure that we uh, review some of these this morning. Turn to First Peter.
We'll be in 2 Peter first, but turn to 2 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. For most of you, this will be familiar, but let's look at verse 16. 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. We might keep saying 1 Peter, we're going to be there in a minute. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter says this, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Keep turning to there, we're not to the text verse yet, and so we're just kind of leading up to it. But there in verse 16, he, Peter says, hey, listen, it wasn't a fairy tale. We saw Jesus. We saw the Lord. We heard him speak. We, we, we saw him, the, the miracles that he performed. We didn't follow fairy tales. But we're eyewitnesses of his majesty. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven was heard. We heard when we were with him in that holy mountain. Imagine being there and hearing the audible voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. I love this verse. Where until you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And I could camp out on this verse, but again, Peter's saying here, uh, we, he said, we, we saw the Lord. We saw the miracles he performed. We heard his voice. We heard him teach to us. And uh, we heard the voice from God. We heard the voice, voice from God. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And yet he says to us, you have a more sure word of prophecy. He's speaking of this book. He's basically saying, you have it better than we do. We had it. You have it better than we had it. You have the word of God. By the way, we have the completed word of God. Now to our text or to our, to the point this morning, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is any private interpretation. Verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time, By the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The word of God is inspired. It's the very words of God, not written by human hands, but given to us by God. The word of God comes from the Lord. And then the word of God is powerful. And turn back a few pages to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, one of those Verses we learned in Sunday school when we were kids. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God, God's word is inspired. God's word comes from the Lord, not from man. Right? Men wrote it as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. Then God's Word is powerful. It's powerful. It's a supernatural book. I enjoy reading and I've read a lot of different biographies. And I can read a biography and be inspired. But let me tell you, you can read the Bible and it will change your life. I can read a biography and be inspired, but it doesn't have the power to change my life. I can read the Bible and read the scripture and it, the word itself, these words have the power to change my life. Quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. In other words, it's not a physical thing. He's, he says it can divide the soul and the spirit. It's a discerner, the Bible, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What a, what a glorious and supernatural book it is. By the way, it changes lives today. You want your life changed? Read the book. You want, you want a life-changing experience? Get saved. Read the book. It will change your life. It'll change your life. Lasting change is found by reading and studying uh, the Word of God. Because in the book itself has power. Not, not just to inspire, but to change a life. And then we think of 1 Peter, back a few pages back. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I know sometimes we quote these and we don't go to them. I want you to see them this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Look at verse 23 and 24. Being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Word of God saves. The Word of God saves. It brings about within us uh, the understanding and knowledge of Jesus Christ. His life, His death, and His resurrection. Whereby the Holy Spirit can convict us and convince us, if you would, of that need of salvation and coming to Jesus. This Word of God. Now look at verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Verse 25. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The word of God inspire, is inspired. It's the very words of God. It's from God. Men wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then it's powerful most powerful book on earth. And then it's forever. Forever. Uh, Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's impeccable. It's indestructible. It's powerful. It's perfect. And it's preserved. I'm thankful for the word of God. It's the greatest book on earth. Unparalleled it stands. It's author God. It's truth divine. Inspired in every word and line. Though writ by human hands. What a great book. It's the living rock of truth, which all assaults defy. Through every storm and blast of time, it tires with majesty sublime. It lives and never dies. It's a great book. Don't doubt it. It's our light. It's our GPS. It's our guide. Satan wants you to doubt it. He wants you to doubt it. I'm thankful for God's word. Satan tried to get... Uh, tempted Eve to doubt the word of God. Number two, Satan tempted Eve to doubt the honesty of God. Look at verse four. And the serpents in Genesis chapter three, back to our text. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. Well, God had already told Adam in Genesis chapter two, verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So here we have the word of God versus Satan's claim 
And I can tell you that we know that God's word is true, that God is always honest and that he keeps his word, and that Adam and Eve, when Adam sinned, he died. You say, well, he didn't fall over dead when he ate the, when he ate the fruit, uh, but he began to die physically, but spiritually he did die. Again, we're trichotomy. Man is made up, mankind is made up of three, body, soul, and spirit. And when Adam sinned, that spirit died. I'm thankful God made a way for that spirit to come to life again. And I'm thankful today that uh, we can have that same, uh, that same quickening, that same quickening that Adam and Eve uh, got to realize by way of sacrifice and by way of the future Messiah who would come and die on the cross and be buried and rise again from the dead. I'm thankful I have that. But understand that he tempted, he tempted her to believe that God was being dishonest with them. Can I remind you this morning that it's appointed a man wants to die. That we're all headed that same road. We're all headed down the same road. And scientists and doctors may be able to, you know, make lifespans longer. But it's still inevitable. At some point, this old body breaks down and it dies. The wage of sin is death. You see, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Through Adam, sin entered into the world. Adam sinned. He took of the fruit that he was not supposed to have. Uh, Eve was deceived, but Adam was disobedient. And because of his disobedience, sin was given, passed down to all men, for all have sinned. And then Romans tells us, for the wages of that sin is death. Physical death, yes, but also spiritual death. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. There is a, it's appointed unto man wants to die, but I'm thankful for Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I'm thankful that I can come to Jesus Christ, repent of my sins, understand that I'm my need for a Savior, and, and confess him as a, his life, believing that he lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years and that he died on the cross for my sins. He took my sins upon the cross. He, he shed his blood there on the cross for my sins. He paid my sin debt. He died in my place. He didn't die for his own sins. He had none. He died for my sins. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that he had paid for my sins in full and proving that he had no sins of his own. And now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. See, when I accept Christ as my Savior, my spirit is quickened. Ephesians 2, verse 1, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. My spirit was dead, but when I accept Christ as my Savior, my spirit is quickened, it's made alive. See, everyone has an empty void when they're born into this world. Their spirit is dead. It's empty. It's empty. It's dark. And many people try to fill that void with various other things. They try to fill the void with, sometimes it's with, with, with alcohol, or maybe it's with, with a job, or maybe it's sports, or uh, maybe it's children. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can fill, try to fill that void with and, and, and have contentment that we think is going to bring us fulfillment, that we think is going to bring us contentment, that we think is going to bring us joy in this life. But can I tell you, there is nothing that satisfies here on earth. That, that no matter what you try to fill that void with, it, you will always thirst again. There's never contentment when it comes to drugs and alcohol. There's never contentment when it comes to, um, 
whatever it may be, wealth or 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 or, 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 or uh, <laughs> wealth or or fame or I'm thinking about the you know the three sins, but anyway, that, that doesn't bring contentment. Doesn't bring joy. Real joy, real contentment comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I hate that I fouled that up. I, I want you to know that you want a life-changing experience come to Jesus. You, you, wanna, you, want the, you want that void filled in your life. You want to you have that sense and that freedom of having contentment, joy, and peace. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Again, he tempted her to doubt the honesty of God. But can I re- remind you that our Bible says in Hebrews and also in Titus that God cannot lie. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Let me say that again. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. In other words, he is right. He's always right. He's never wrong. He, He always has your best interest in mind. And no matter what avenue your life takes, God is directing that and he is always right. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. Psalm 119, 137 says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright in all thy judgments. What God promises he will do. He promised to save us and he will. If you'll come to him. He promised to keep us. He promised to protect us. He promised to provide for us. And God always keeps his promises. And don't let the devil plant that seed of doubt in your mind. Don't let the devil plant that seed of unbelief in your mind. God is always honest. He's always righteous. He's always right. Thirdly, he tempted Eve to doubt the goodness of God. Verse 5 says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes, your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. It's like Satan tried to get Eve to think God was holding out on her. You know, God's holding out on you. God's holding out on you. No, it's just the opposite. He was protecting her. You see, God has put some do's and don'ts in the Bible. I think a lot of times in times past, we, we dwelt a lot on the don'ts and probably should have been spending a, a, lot, more time, a lot more time on the do's as well. But I'm telling you uh, t- this morning that God has put some things in the Bible to protect you and help you. There are some do's in the Bible. Well, we ought to read our Bibles. We ought to pray daily. We, we ought to be faithful to church. We, we ought to be faithful in our giving. We ought to be faithful and do uh, tell others about Jesus. Those five basic things we, that I learned as a, a little kid growing up in church. Amen? Now, those five things don't make us spiritual. But they put, in a, put, ourselves, they put you in a position where God can make you spiritual. Those, in other words, we don't earn God's favor. We don't earn God's love, but it certainly puts us in a position where God can bless us. There's some things we ought to do as Christians. Amen? Amen. But there are some things we shouldn't do. There's some things we should not do. We, and the Bible lays those down. And, and uh, we as uh, Baptist preachers uh, shouldn't be shy away from continuing to say, hey, you should not drink alcohol. Amen. The Bible preaches and teaches us against it. 
It says not to look on the, the wine when it is red. It, we should not, uh, we should abstain from alcohol. Amen. You say, well, preacher, I don't drink alcohol, I just socially drink. Well, you're, you're, you're supporting the engine. You're, you're destroying lives just as much as the person who drank it and, and has beaten up their wife and mother and everything else that's going on in the world today. You say, preacher, that's a little stern. Well, it's right. Don't support the, don't support the system. And you never know about your kids. You may not be an alcoholic, but you, you leave an example of your kid, for your kid that drinking a little bit's okay, and they wind up being alcohol, then you, alcoholic, you're responsible for that. Amen? Amen. We should not pull any punches when it comes to the don'ts in the Bible. Shouldn't drink and shouldn't chew, shouldn't go with girls that do. That's what I was taught as a kid, right? Shouldn't, but also, I mean, we, we dwell a lot on the drugs and alcohol and those things we should not do, and, and, but we, we sometimes leave off, you know, gossip. Yeah, now it kind of gets down there, right? And by the way, every Christian should be the best advocate of another Christian. Somebody talks to you about somebody else, you should advocate for that somebody else. You should say, hey, I don't want to listen to it. I don't, I don't care. You know, somebody calls you and says, oh, let me tell you about so-and-so. Just, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't need to talk about that. You ought to advocate for them. Be careful about what you say. Our tongues are like fire, the Bible says. Well, they sure can start a wildfire. Amen. So things we should not do as Christians. We should not do. We need to be careful about bitterness. And there's some things that we should do, like forgive. And I mean, we can go back and forth on the do's and the don'ts. Illustrate it this way. You as a parent, we do the same thing, right? There's some things that our kids should not do. And we set for them boundaries, or at least most... Most parents used to, and I know the parents in our church do, and uh, there ought to be boundaries for kids. Here's what you're not going to do. And if you, if you cross this line, here is, the, here is the punishment for that. And parents, I can't encourage it enough. There should be boundaries. In fact, uh, they have done studies that says that, cal- that, that kids do want boundaries. They, they do want to know where that boundary is. And we should set those boundaries and, and make it very clear what the don'ts are. Here's what you don't do. But as parents, there's some things we should have our children do. This is another area we maybe we don't spend enough time on, but there are some things we do to our we we tell our kids to do that will help them. It's good to give a little kid chores. It's good for a four or five, six year old, maybe even a three year old, to start having things they must do. Clean their room, right? And then as it gets bigger, as they get bigger, they get more responsibility, mowing the yard or whatever the case is, washing dishes and, and helping mama or whatever it is. But there's some things they should be doing as well, feeding the dogs and carrying out the trash. And you say, well, oh, that's little. No, that's, that's, that's stuff they should be doing because it's helping to create within them a work ethic. And that's what, one of the big problems we have today is kids growing up without any responsibility in the home and they've never been told to do anything. And now they get to be an adult and they don't think they have to do anything. And it's our, our responsibility as parents to teach them what they should not do and what they should do. Why? To protect them. And listen, we, God has given us things in the Bible, things we should not do, and things that we should do to protect us, to help us. Amen? We need to be careful that we don't doubt the goodness of God. He has our best interests in mind. He is always righteous. He's always right. Never doubt his goodness. 
I know it's cliche, but God's good all the time. No matter what you may be going through, no matter what you may be facing, God is good. God is good. And whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, He is allowed in your life. He works all things together for good. Lastly, Satan tempted Eve to doubt the wisdom of God. And there's not a particular passage here, but just the overall passages, all six of these. He is just getting Eve to doubt God's wisdom. Doubt God's wisdom. Romans 11 says, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? God knows everything. Who can teach God anything? He knows the beginning from the end. As we've used this illustration a hundred times, but you get in a helicopter, you go up in the air, and you watch a train. You can see the engine, and you can see where the caboose used to be. There's not one anymore. But you can see the whole train. If you're just a normal person in the, in the train, all you can see is the box that you're in. But Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, sees the beginning and the end. He sees the... He sees the engine and the caboose. He knows, he knows, he knows everything that's going on. God, God, is not, God is not limited by time. He's outside of time. Today, he sees the things that have happened and are going to happen and already happening. He sees everything at once. It's hard for our little finite minds to understand that. And therefore, since he knows what's going to happen tomorrow, a week from now, 10 days from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, then we shouldn't doubt him. We shouldn't doubt him. But he's no, he knows what's good. He knows what's best. Satan got Eve to, Eve to doubt the word of God. To doubt the honesty of God, the goodness of God, and the wisdom of God. And these are tools that take, Satan's still using today. Of course, he uses the tool of discouragement and many other things, but this is one of his greatest tools, the tools of doubt. It'll defeat you if you're not careful. You begin to doubt this old black book. Well, this is a great book. It has the answers to all your questions. He gets you to doubt, you know, and, and not trust God's goodness. God is good all the time get you to doubt God's honesty. God always keeps his promises. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. And get you to doubt the wisdom of God. We must not doubt. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Just, just lean on the Lord. Trust Him, and He'll direct you. By the way, you fall where you lean. You fall where you lean. Be careful where you're leaning. Just don't doubt. Don't doubt the Lord. God is good. Let's all stand. This morning, do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? The greatest decision you'll ever make is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.
We'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know that your sins are forgiven and have eternal life. How you can escape hell and have a home in heaven. We'd love to show you from the Bible. If you want to come forward, we'll show you. One of our counselors will show you from the Bible how you can be saved. If you're watching online, we'd love for you to email us. Let us know. We'd love to help you. Christian, this morning, maybe, maybe Satan's putting a little, little seed of doubt in your mind. With all the chaos going on today, he's just kind of teasing at you, working at you, chipping away a little bit, making you doubt whether or not God's really in control. But can I tell you, God is. Maybe this morning you just come down and say, Lord, forgive me for doubting you. Lord, by your spirit, help me, empower me, strengthen me to trust in you as I should. And he'll do that for you. And in turn, give you peace, comfort, joy. I'm talking about as a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, may you direct our hearts this morning and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.